first of all, I just wanted to say extremely honored to be able to moderate this panel. I was able to take a little bit of time to look up a couple of you that I have not worked with before. So I very much enjoyed learning about your background and such. So I just wanted to say that I'm, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. And, and so what I wanted to do is, is I wanted to give each of you maybe 30 to 60 seconds to kind of just give who you are, what your background is. And so start, I'll just kind of go down the list here real quick. So, uh, and I hate to put everybody uh, individually on the spot, but I'm sure you were, I'm sure you were ready to go. So uh, Jill, if you wanted to go first, we'll just go Jill, then Laurie, Dr. John, and then, uh, and then Tawetta. So uh, Jill, if you wouldn't mind. Sure, absolutely. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm Jillian Dubois, and I am a what I call a redesigned educator. I was in the classroom for 21 years and have stepped away to actually take a different role in education where I am a professional learning specialist with a company that is providing professional learning and professional development for educators. I'm located in Clearwater, Florida. And am also a publisher, um, children's book author, and illustrator. Awesome. Appreciate that, Joe. And then Laurie, if you don't mind. Sure. I'm Laurie Guillon. I am the Model Schools Coordinator for a BOCES in upstate New York. I've been in education about 15 years. This is actually my third career and definitely the one that I will stay in until I retire, if I ever actually retire, because I love it. Uh, I really do professional learning, just like Jillian, uh, pretty much all day, every day. I'm doing professional learning by pushing into classrooms, uh, doing different workshops, webinars, creating uh, resources, especially around the areas of educational technology, computer science, and digital literacy. Uh, and I'm also a recently published author. I wrote a book called Smile Learning, Leveraging the Power of Educational Technology. So I'm happy to be here and have these discussions with all of you. Awesome. Uh, and then Dr. Tawetta, you'd be so kind. Hello, I'm Dr. Tong. I'm a high school principal in Louisville, Kentucky, at Iroquois High School. I've been in education for about 20 years, and so I've had an opportunity just to work with young people to advocate for them and to provide professional learning for teachers to ensure that they are able to provide effective instruction. Awesome. And, and how did you pronounce your name exactly? It's Toetta Tong. Perfect. Okay. Cool. I wanted to make sure. Want to make sure I said it correctly. And then Dr. John. Yes. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. John Rosa. I, am, I run sixteen integrative medicine practices in the DMV, which is the Maryland, DC, Virginia area. Um, an expert in the opioid crisis, addiction, and mental health. A surrogate to the White House for a few administrations. Um, see patients in in and out uh used to be full-time now part-time but still my favorite place to be written a few chapters in a few books i lecture all over the country with the department of homeland security and all the alphabet soups in the government along with continuing education platforms for um, doctors nurses chiropractors physical therapists and then some um, i sit on four different nonprofit boards. I'm chair of the board of Maryland University of Integrative Health, where we just created our STAR certification program through Same Here. And I'm chair of the board of Same Here Global Mental Health Movement. And that's a lot. And I actually have a beautiful wife and kids that I almost like don't ever see. So that's part of my mental health issue. <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Dr. Don. Always, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, okay. So the, the topic here is the impact of social media on our mental health and uh and some wonderful feedback in the emails that i had back and forth uh with our panelists here and so one thing i wanted to bring up is the first question that i had asked which is uh what have you seen be effective in managing social media in your own life and i i got a little bit of feedback here from um, from jill and again i don't mean to put you on the spot here jill but uh but you gave some great feedback uh regarding uh you know the positive and negative effects and so um, I know that inside the inside your email, you said uh, you'd experienced great joy personally and professionally with social media relationships and the circles uh, that you had explored and found beneficial. And that was something I wanted to start out on the positive side, because, you know, when we say the words mental health and social media, it's my observation that it kind of almost causes a, a visceral reaction with us because it's, there is so much uh, negative around social media. But I like the fact that you mentioned uh, you had some great experience and especially with connecting with others. So if you wouldn't mind just expanding on that and feel free everybody else after this to to chime in. The last thing I want to do here is put too much structure 
the objective here is to create genuine context and share lived experiences. And so, Jill, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear you expand on some of your uh, positive experiences with social media. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it was, of course, most of us found um, a lot of that connection through COVID and through the pandemic time. And for me, um, I just started, I was started out being a lurker. Um, I really had only been, you know, in social media for just, you know, a little bit, kind of dipping my toes in the water. But when educational, you know, Twitter chats and things like that started happening, I'm like, hey, you know, these people have got something going on. Maybe there's something to it. So I really was able to find support in some of the right groups, something that I was looking for. I call myself a social introvert, but a digital extrovert. Um, so I really am, you know, I like to be alone. I'm, um, I get very uh, anxious when I'm around a lot of people, but there's something different when you're around people um, digitally that you can just somehow open yourself up, um, celebrate others. They celebrate you. It's almost like you kind of like have that maturity to know what to look for, um, to be able to cast that vision. Um, I had a goal for the purpose of being in social media. I had that expectation of what I really desired to get out of it. Um, there was more to it than just, you know, finding friends and seeing how many likes I could get on things. Um, for me, it truly was wanting to cultivate deep, meaningful relationships and friendships with other educators, especially. Um, and I did. I found that. I kind of plugged into a few different groups and, you know, you kind of weave in and out and you kind of let go of the ones that don't serve you well and kind of dig a little deeper to the ones that, you know, interact a little bit better and you kind of connect better with. And that is really, I mean, what happened. I mean, from there, I just found a whole new way, a whole new platform for myself to be creative to use my own self-expression in ways that I knew I wasn't going to be judged. I wasn't going to be humiliated. I wasn't going to, there was even no fear of missing out. It was like, there was joy of missing out. If I miss something in another group or at another time, it was like no big deal. Um, so, you know, and just to be able to take that and use that as a foundation to build those friendships and to build trust with people who were looking for the same thing that I was and, those relationships are still cultivating. They're still being grown today. Um, we still like talk. We FaceTime. We find time to meet each other halfway across the country and spend time together. Or if we're at conferences, we'll, you know, grab a quick bite to eat or something like that. But there is just really something deep and meaningful about the relationship that you can cultivate and find there. I uh, appreciate you sharing all that. Yeah, it was very, uh, I very much appreciated reading how you had talked about cultivating relationships, uh, even going on vacation with some of the people that you've developed relationships over the years. And so again, really like that positivity there. Uh, over to you, Dr. John. So in the, in the, uh, the response you had sent back to me, you had, uh, you, I really liked the way it was, it was uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bullets and numbers guy. So the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, Lori and Dr. Tawada, feel free, uh, once Sean goes through this, feel free to, to also uh, chime in here. But Dr. John, if you'd be so kind, you know, highlight the good stuff that you had brought up in, in the uh, in the response back. And then uh, and then, like I said, Laurie and, and Dr. Tawetta, if you guys want to chime in a bit more, because then I do want to dig in, if possible, into the I don't want to call it the bad necessarily. I'd love to call it the room for improvement, just hoping that there uh, that there that there is a, uh, a solid way out. Uh, but I understand definitely there are there are uh, tough sides of social media. So, Dr. John, if you wouldn't mind uh, just highlighting some of the stuff that you had written. Yeah, well, look, the. The good is, was beautifully just spoken that the, the connections, that the ability to connect with others, there's people who don't get a chance to see loved ones and you can, there's, there's branding, right? I mean, there's self-branding and there's branding for a business and it gives you a beautiful outlet to communicate. There's causes, there's social causes, there's nonprofit work, there's incredible messaging around that. And students are, are able to get on and be part of something that they probably would never be. And that could be globally, even to some levels, you, you could really cherry pick a, a lot of the obvious low hanging fruit and say, there is a ton of great experience that can be had with social media. I mean, that's, that's the good. And we need to celebrate the good because we're on that platform right now and we're actually educating. So that's another reason where people 
are dying to get the right information and find these avenues to be able to listen uh, from experts like you have on this call today. Um, I, you know, the, the bad, I, there's a list that could go on forever. I talk briefly just about my concerns on societal woes that give us some of the like chemistry behind issues that we have. And I won't go too deep on the medical sense, but just give you a 30,000 foot view of what makes us have an insatiable appetite to go to social media platforms for the opposite reasons of the things we just said. So there is good, there is bad, and then there is ugly. Um, societally, we've kind of put ourselves in a really weird position of late where we used to have more communal-based stuff, community-based stuff, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, clubs, and things where individuals would get together with each other, spend time, whether it was indoors, outdoors, activities, celebrations, feasts, you name it. Um, that kind of has broken down into be more isolate, and the 24-hour news cycle doesn't help, and Social media adds to that level of not seeing, like we call it the doomsday scrolling. Some of the things that we can see on feeds that are in continuum are very distracting, but mostly negative in how it's presented. The ones where we look for, where we search and we're trying to be with others and find connection and fr friends and family or things that are educative, we usually need to search for those. And although they're really, really good, and they're searchable, the stuff that we don't want to see is the stuff that kind of comes through. Um, I mean, if election cycles are terrible, if you voted for somebody that you didn't, someone else did that throws you on a tear and we get that stuff and strife. People in social media, family members, loved ones, won't even talk to each other as a result. You see stripes in the streets, the wear a mask, wear three masks, don't wear a mask at all. You should be vaccinated three times, 10 times. Don't get the vaccine. It'll kill you. The West Coast is on fire. The Gulf Coast is underwater. There, nobody's in school. Nobody's in work. There's global warming, school shootings, monkeypox, UFOs. I mean, listen to what I'm saying. It, it's a little, it's a little daunting. And and now even the war in Ukraine comes through, and we see the media on television, and it's a geopolitical thing. And there's war, and there's process, and we see and digest it. But children are getting pictures of someone lying in the street covered in a, a, sh a white sheet that blood-stained white sheet or simulations of nuclear weapons coming from Russia that could take out the country. These are the type of things that come through on feeds that we need to be careful with. So, so along with the good, we have to watch out for the excessiveness of the negative material that comes through. And that's just ma mainly your time, right? I mean, every six minutes, a teenager texts someone every six minutes of their waking day and eight hours plus are spent in screen time and some of which is schoolwork, but a good chunk of the five hours of it is spent in some form of social media. So there is an abundance of information that comes through. We just have to be careful in how we consume it. Yeah, that's something that we'll definitely be touching on is, is the moderation, everything in moderation, of course. Uh, Lori, I'd love to hear. Looks like you uh, un unmuted there for a second. Do you have something to share? Yeah, I do. I, I, I was really enjoying everything that was being said, and I, I was nodding my head. If you could just see me, I'm nodding away. But I, I think I think it's important to add to that that, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll talk to my experience with with Twitter I, uh, or social media in general. I, I learned all about how to use it at a conference about literacy, which you don't always think of, um, you know, what you see online is literacy, but it is. It's media literacy. Uh, and we have to learn how to use it. We have to learn how to understand it. We have to learn how to kind of sift through to find the things that we want. Um, but I think that uh, that social media, if taught early enough, if we if we get into those into our classrooms and we start talking about social media with our with our youngest students, we can help them build the capacity so that they learn how to filter, so they don't see the things they don't want to see, so they can use their platforms to, to share their ideas and to spread, uh, you know, the, the good, but they can also uh, make sure that they're learning from others. And that's how I use Twitter. And I don't ever, or I shouldn't say ever, I rarely see something on my feed that would upset me or send me down a spiral and, and that sort of thing. It's because I've spent the past few years that I've been on Twitter 
following the people that um, that spread positive messages that are educators for the most part, um, because that's what I'm I am. I'm an educator, you know, or I follow people that that are giving me information that's going to help me with the job that I do. Um, and then what I'm sharing, I always make sure before I share it. And we say this to students all the time. Think before you post. Is this positive? Does it add something to what's happening? Does it does it you know, is it is it kind? Is it something that is going to help somebody else? And I think those are the things that we have to start thinking about with our with our really young students is to start giving them that that toolkit, that capacity to start to think about what they want to look like online, what their persona is going to be who they want to emulate, you know, as they as they watch other people, as they're, you know, starting to narrow that focus on who they're going to follow. Um, and I think we need to give them that that safety net of when something happens, what do we do? Uh, I'll give you an example. I was with, I, in my role, I'm often in classrooms and I was teaching digital citizenship to fourth and fifth graders. And I had one boy ask me, uh, he said, he said, how do I get somebody to believe me when I say I'm being cyberbullied? And it wasn't even what do I do with the cyberbully? It was I need somebody to actually be in my corner and help me out. So I posted it on Twitter and I said, let's see what they say. And, and you know, let's see if we can we can get some ideas from, you know, the Twitterverse. And I had uh, some really great uh, feedback. Some educators reached out and gave some ideas to help this child out. I was able to share all of that with that student to help that student use that voice that they were starting to uh, to share that that boy was starting to say, hey, this is what's happening. I'm, you know, and, and really being a proponent for himself. But we need to make sure that's happening online and offline. And I think that if we really work on our social media and we and we uh, we think about it as something that needs to be taught, we can be using this the the social media in such a way that we can really make it a better place. Obviously, there's always going to be those that are, you know, that are negative and, and you know, that, that does happen on a very regular basis. But I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that nobody's taught us how to use social media. We learn social media by using social media. And I feel like there's there's probably a better approach than that. Uh, Dr. Tawetta, would you like to add anything else there before we switch on to uh... Uh, a bit of the uh, the room for improvement. Yeah, I just like to say, thinking about it from a positive standpoint, um, and from someone personally who I have not always necessarily been a proponent of uh, social media at all. Even to this day, I don't own a Facebook account or any of those type of things. However, um, being a leader of a high school, I have found it to be very rewarding and very useful in a sense of trying to connect with students, trying to connect with parents. And one of the things that we're doing here in my school specifically is, is we often talk about changing the narrative. And so we have a teacher and a group of students who utilize social media to share with the community about the amazing things that we have going on at the school. And so with that, that has helped to, um, you know, instill some some things within the community that they didn't know about our school. It's helped to increase school pride and just build culture within our school. So being a leader and utilizing social media has definitely um, been positive, you know, despite some of the negative things that I could definitely go on and on about. Uh, just looking at it through those lens, it has definitely been helpful uh, with just trying to bridge the gap between school students and the community. And another thing, it is allowed as well. It's allowed for me uh, to just kind of be connected with what our students may be going through, uh, to see the type of things that they like to do, maybe the music that they're listening to, the things that are going on in their world that may not necessarily be going on in mine, but I feel like I need to be aware of. So thinking about, um, think about it from that lens. And um just my perspective on how it can be used in a very good way. Awesome. So uh, just to recap real quick for anybody that's just tuning in, uh, we're discussing the impact of social media on our mental health. Uh, and I hopefully I don't butch any of the uh, any of the names, but I definitely struggle with this. But here with Dr. Tawetta Tall, Jillian, I'm going to go with Du Bois, I believe it is, uh, Lori Guyon and Dr. John Rosa. Uh, my name is Stephen Georgiella. We've discussed some of the positive impacts that social media have have had on our on our, on our lives as individual and uh, the observations of others. But I wanted to switch a little bit. I don't want to necessarily call it the bad. I realize that there is a lot of 
there are some bad sides to social media. But what I'd like to do is open up the floor. Um, I do want to mention one of the things that I had seen in my conversation with uh, with Dr. John, you know, talking about the algorithms and how they're designed. The the one thing that I would like to speak on is uh, as as a marketer, uh, I broker attention each day, and ideally, the reason why I enjoy marketing and advertising is because. I, you know, I fell in love with people purchase emotionally and they rationalize intellectually. I do believe that as an advertiser and a marketer, uh, that my goal is to match up a certain product or service with a person that has shown some sort of social signal or done some sort of uh, uh, done something to show that they're interested in our clients' products. And so I do see a lot of positive in brokering attention. Now, with that said, whether it's a news outlet or the platforms themselves. There are there's a bit of malicious intent at t- in times, or it seems so, uh, in utilizing the bad side, if you will, to create uh, uh, a lot of fear of missing out. Like I believe, I believe that Jill or Lori had spoken about in the beginning. Uh, and so, uh, Dr. John, you had brought up uh, the algorithms and how they're designed to push content. Uh, blurring the lines of reality is definitely one that's extremely difficult, knowing the fact that. The majority of people are billboard readers. They're going to see something. They'll have an emotional reaction, and then, of course, they'll uh, they'll end up absorbing it and possibly eating, tweeting out, uh, you know, edifying that tweet or that piece of content. Uh, you talked about uh, the attention, fear of missing out, self-image, uh, the self-image issue it, it creates when people see the world through a certain lens. And so, uh, is there anything you wanted to expand on on that uh, on that tougher side of social media? Yeah, I mean, you like you you just said the algorithms. Sometimes they're designed nicely so that they actually give you information that you would want. And I think we spoke to this earlier. I think it was Jill who, who said that when you filter yourself enough, only good content comes through. The trouble is that for most of us, we're, we're the, the difficult and ugly is what is looked at the most. Your, ten, your attention span to the things that are not so great unless you're paying attention to it are the ones that attract the most attention. And most social media companies understand that and have derived algorithms also to make sure that there's eyeball content that keeps you engaged. And that doesn't matter what age group it is. Uh, we're not built to be in the negative look part of things all too often. And those algorithms can then be geared, if we're not paying attention to them, to be harmful because we're, the state of negativity or being in a fight or flight response pretty consistently. It's, that's, that's where most of the mental health issues come from, the overuse part of it. Part of it is a chemical part. There's a dopamine reaction, a reward system issue, which I could get into. Um, but that algorithm of getting fed information is, is the one we need to be real careful with because it, some may have malintent and other times the algorithm's just doing its job. But we need to be cognizant of the fact that that's happening. I'll give you just a, an, an example of what we see and we've seen in TikTok, where if a teenage girl types in something about weight or appearance, within 1.3 minutes, there's something that comes through on how to become bulimic or how to throw up after a meal or literally video clips on what to do and how to do it. So there's certain keywords and terms that were people are going in and arbitrarily looking because it's an access point to them for what they think is that blurred line of a reality. That's dangerous, right? So we need to really be extra careful. The part of the return to and constant use of, uh, like we're, when you're in a, in a sympathetic state, if your brain is constantly worried or concerned and you don't have that parasympathetic or rest and digest phase where your body's in, in, a, in a more calm and understanding place, then the, you're cortisol driven. And when you're cortisol driven, it puts a damper on all the decent chemistry we produce. That's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. Those can't really produce and produce well or be used well when we're consistently under stress. So what we do is we look for them for self-soothing reasons. And that could be drugs, alcohol, sex, the computer, your phone. Uh, gambling. I mean, there are a lot of self-soothing mechanisms and a lot of the social media companies have gotten keen on the way they make money. And we got to be honest about it is the more time is spent on eyes on the device, the more valuable that person is to the system uh, within, within a, a free market sense. Right. So 
it, it's trying to let you go in. That's how the design was with the thumb up. The design was where Google said, oh, we're going to ding the phone when an email comes in. The design where something gets notified, somebody liked one of your photos. Those were put in so that you could go back and have that diversion of going back to the system again and again and again. Each time that happens, your brain gets a squirt of dopamine. And when you're not producing it in the stressful lives of some of the stuff I just discussed prior to this, then that dopamine actually becomes a nice source of feeling normal or being real. And that's the danger point. So part of it is how it's designed and not on purpose in some cases and on purpose in others. And the other is we're a society where our neurochemistry is so not okay that we're looking for other things to stimulate it. And social media, sadly enough, is one of those points. Uh, well said, as always there, Dr. John. Uh, I wanted to highlight something from uh, from Jill. Jill, I, I, I saw your uh, what I call a lived experience uh, in your email talking about uh, talking about your child. And one of the things that uh, unfortunately happens when you know we 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 spend a lot of money with our clients on uh, on social media platforms, and uh, as much good is produced out of it, we do see and hear about things uh, like you had shared there, talking about. Uh, the experience of your child being to a certain degree catfish. And so um, I know that I, I mean, I, you know, obviously I cannot, I cannot even imagine what that was like going through. And I very much appreciate you sharing it. I wanted to hear from you. Um, were you aware that things like this could happen? Uh, how did it change the way you go about things uh, currently now? And then possibly even, you know, the way that you advise people when uh, their children are using social media uh, or, um, or anything of that sort. So I just wanted to get to uh, uh, have you expand or unpack that if you'd be so kind. Yeah, no, I'd love to. You know, it's it's a scary thing as a parent to, you know, first of all, we're all familiar with social media and we know our kids are into it, but our kids hide it so well. You know, they're not going to say, oh, mom, I was scrolling through, you know, Twitter and, you know, TikTok today. Look what I found. You know, they're going to keep those things secret. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Dr. John, I love how you said rest and digest. That's going to be my new motto <laughs> for myself, <laughs> right? We, we don't, we don't understand how to sit with the uncomfortable and, and children don't know how to do that. Young adults don't know how to do that. And, you know, but I do know that he was speaking towards the dopamine reward system and that devastating contributor, because it's that remember where you got your fix and go back and get it behavior. So especially with, you know, when you don't know as a parent, when you're unaware of what your your kids are doing. And we, my husband and I, we are hyper vigilant. I mean, we were one of those, we're, we're always checking everything, history, everything. And we had no idea. Um, you know, it was just such a, a random thing that just started. Yeah, the catfish that just started from something that was kind of innocent, but you know, when we finally realized that our son had been finding and connecting regularly with, we thought it was just social media friends, um, but they were actually directing him to pornography websites and to, you know, and granted a lot of us that were, you know, were older, pornography way back when was so much more, I don't want to say this to be, you know, light about it, but it was so much more innocent. You know, now what, you know, kids are exposed to or even adults are exposed to is something that is completely evil. Um, so they had access to his email. He eventually became victimized. Um, he was coerced into sending personal information um, to those he believed were women who were talking with him and sending him pictures and wanting to have relationships with him. Um, he is on the autism spectrum. So not quite mature enough or cognizant enough of the ways in which that type of thing works. Um, so he just kind of fell down kind of a dark hole. And thankfully, um, after we realized there was an extremely large amount of money missing, um, we were able to investigate and we knew what had happened. So we found out about it, put some fraud alerts out on his personal information, started working with the therapist and you know, that therapist, you know, said something that I will never forget. And he said, you know, that's what human trafficking is. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, right. I mean, we just exactly. think, oh, you know, we have no idea how deep all of this is. That something that started so innocently 
And, you know, to be able to reach out to parents and say, you know, hey, be vigilant over your kids and watch out for what they're doing. You know, we were doing that, but they hide it well. It's terrifying. No one is immune. It's a rampant disturbance in our culture, threatening our children's lives, threatening other adult lives. So I don't have an answer. I wish I did. And I'd love to hear what anybody else has to say about that. Yeah, well, one thing I wanted to touch on is uh, is I believe that uh, the transparency is how we really normalize mental health. And you sharing and having the courage to share your lived experience there, especially as a subject that is flat out uh, uncomfortable for many, I believe that that is how we normalize mental health. So I, uh, first of all, did want to thank you for that. Uh, and, and I'm sure everybody else thanks you for that as well. Uh, Dr. Toledo, I did want to say, you know, the... Uh, the executive principal, I am certain that you have some real experience with the tougher sides of social media. And so if you'd be so kind, I would love for you to, uh, and I don't mean to laugh about it uh, in a negative manner. I laugh because I'm sure your experience level is uh, is um, quite robust. So I'd love to hear some feedback from you if you could be so kind. It definitely is. How much time do we have? <laughs> we got we had 24 minutes left in the session. I do want to cover, okay. want to cover action plans, but hey, rip it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I'll keep it, you know, as brief as possible. Just saying that um, it, you know, dealing with social media and mental health of students is a constant. Um, Often when I talk to parents, one thing I will say is um, on a day to day basis, uh, the things sometimes that go on in school, I'd say that 75 percent of it comes from outside of the building, something related to social media. However, it then uh, impacts what we have going on in the building. And we've literally, you know, seen students transition in the middle of a year, a matter of a, a week, a matter of sometimes a day. And oftentimes the, the impact has something to do with social media. Uh, there are things, and I think someone mentioned it earlier about how, uh, you know, a young lady may have been impacted by looking up something about weight loss or whatever was said, but it, it's not only, you know, um, something that impacts one particular gender, but it impacts, you know, all genders. It impacts all races. My school is one of the most diverse uh, schools in the district. We have about 36% of our population is our EL students. And then we have over 40 uh, countries represented, 30 languages. And, and with the diversity, it impacts all of our students. Uh, we've dealt with situations, I've dealt with situations in which, um, you know, students, you know, they, they may be friends one day and then the next day they aren't and they can't. One of the things that, that we've learned is that they can't necessarily even verbalize the impact that it has on their mental health. They know that something's wrong. Parents may know something is wrong, but really being able to get to the core of what it is is a struggle sometimes. But when we, you know, get down to it and really start to talk to students about what's going on, oftentimes the genesis is something that happened on social media and they may not know why, but it very well could be something as simple as she said or he said somebody didn't like my hair. But we're dealing with young people where, you know, what other people say about them, it really does matter. And so it, it plays such a huge role that at my school in particular, we decided to um, employ two mental health practitioners just to make sure that we could offer the supports that our students needed to deal with the day-to-day, not to mention all of the societal issues that our students have to deal with and how, you know, we may assume, and I don't, I don't really think that we're on the, assu- the assumption side anymore, but I think maybe pre-COVID, and I hate to say that, but pre-COVID, uh, sometimes adults would assume that certain things did not impact our young people, like the gun violence or things going on with politics or, you know, the the things going on that we see in terms of, you know, racial tension. But I think now more than ever, we realize that it does impact our students and it comes out in various ways. There is no one size fits all in terms of how it impacts our students. So we have to remain vigilant and we have to keep a, a listening ear and when a student, I think somebody said earlier that the student said, how do I get somebody to believe me that I'm being bullied? We take every case, case by case, and we, you know, draw attention to it and take it seriously. We like to investigate, to, to get more knowledge so that we can make sure that we are supporting 
every student individually because we realize every student has specific needs. And one thing that it may impact one student, it may not really impact the student another way. But we know ultimately down the road that it very well can. So, yes, this is something that we deal with every single day. We take it very, very seriously, uh, primarily because we don't want something that may have happened overnight at three o'clock in the morning. It will meet us at the door at seven o'clock in the morning because the kids may have not went to sleep. They're amped up and they're ready to, you know, have a conversation with the other peer or whatever the case may be. And we've also had um, an opportunity in this with working with students to share some of the things that we know with some of our parents. Like we've had an opportunity to share with parents, you know, about various apps where they're able to hide apps within side of apps that very well may hide pictures and different things like that. So it's been a learning process for us. I feel like it's been a learning process for parents, but the goal is to work together uh, at that village to make sure that at the end of the day, the, the social emotional needs and the mental health of our students, uh, you know, remain at the forefront of everything we do, not just academics, but making sure that we educate the whole student. That was easy. That was like five minutes. That was nothing. Great job. So, all right. So thank you. This is a really nice segue here. So. One of the things that I wanted to cover is is what same here really means, and I'll make it I'll make it brief from from uh, from my experience. You know, uh, five and five people experience stress, trauma, and challenge in their life, and uh, something that uh, resonated with me years ago uh, when Eric Houston, the founder of Same Here, uh, explained it to me. It really just stuck with me. It's imagine if the American Heart Association only spoke to people or targeted people after they had heart disease, and he said. Uh, <clears throat> That's essentially where the mental health space is right now. And it's uh, one of the choice of words I use with my friends, colleagues, uh, associates is I say, right now we're waiting for a disorder. Uh, we let plaque build up, uh, like uh, we let it build up like plaque and arteries and then boom, a heart attack happens or, or to, to use that analogy, you know, it, it's uh, it's disorder, if you will. Uh, we've been like Dr. John had, had said much more eloquently earlier, uh, we are uh, we're soothing uh, i had a discussion with dr pleaner uh in uh, florida a couple weeks back and he talks about uh, we don't say it like that enough we just say coping but it's it's really just soothing whether it's alcohol drugs the dopamine dump whatever it may be and so i mentioned all that because it seems as if and this is kind of where i want to move to uh, action steps what people can take away from from the good and the bad that we've discussed i want to discuss uh the action steps uh it seems as if Parents and caretakers, uh, they need to be educated. And many of these parents may not have grown up as digital natives or social media natives. So it would it would uh, be an even larger barrier to them under, you know, I, I, I kind of say it as seek to be understood. So they, they must seek to understand their children and why, they're, why the addiction is so strong to social media, especially negative things in social media. Uh, and that's not leaving out that there's some addiction to the good things as well. But I wanted to get some feedback and just leave it wide open here. Uh, Jill, Laurie, Dr. Twetta, Dr. John, uh, talking about uh, how, uh, what people can take away from here to uh, look at the impact of social media on their mental health and hopefully have it be something that they can use in moderation. I'm sure that'll be a topic across the board, uh, but how they could go about doing that, how, can, how they could have these positive impacts like, uh, like uh, Jill had shared and Dr. John had shared uh, so if you guys want to just uh, one of you chime in on, on what you think uh, people can do as a takeaway going forward. So I, I, I'd like to speak to that a little bit, if that's all right. Um, please. please. <laughs> for 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 me, you know, coming from the educator perspective where I I get to teach digital citizenship to students, you know, and I have been for you know well over 10 years. Um, I, I think it really matters that we open up the conversations, that we make sure that uh, we're not teaching it. And and I'm guilty of it as well because I go in and I'm like the special, right? I come in, I do a half hour lesson and I leave or I do it an assembly or something along those lines. But I really think if we really want to uh, to bring the focus on, on mental health and we want to focus on how we could use social media appropriately and safely and positively, 
uh, that it needs to be something that is embedded in all that we do. I'm not saying that we need to put kindergartners on TikTok. I'm not saying that at all. But we <laughs> but we need to make sure that they know what to do if they're on TikTok or they're, you know, or somebody posts something, how they're going to handle that and what they're going to do about it. We need to think about, um, you know, ways that we can help the students amplify what matters to them to be able to create their own positive digital spaces. Uh, and that needs to happen in every classroom. It can't be something that is done in pockets. It needs to be across the board, uh, cross-curricular every day that uh, we're having these discussions and giving students that space to be able to, you know, share their feelings, to be able to share with their with their concerns, ask the questions that they have. We need to give them that that solid foundation uh, for everything they're going to do. You know, when they're not inside our doors, like like uh, Dr. Uh, Toletta said. You know, we know that a lot of what happens happens outside of the classrooms, but we we it it tumbles into the classroom and it becomes something that we have to deal with um, and we want to deal with because we want to help our students out. So I think this needs to be something that that is, you know, as important as coming into the door with your pencil. You need to come in uh, with the ability to listen and to learn and to share and, um, you know, to to really help each other out. Help kids amplify what matters to them. I love that quote. Uh, and I think something that you kind of uh, went, went, went around, but what I took out of that is there wasn't just this wonderful standard operating procedure that was given to parents and educators and caretakers uh, when social media became uh, a trend. So I think that's something that, that is, uh, obviously makes this entire thing much more difficult because it's, it's cloudy waters across the board. Uh, Dr. John, Jill, Dr. Yeah. Go, ahead, go ahead. I, I, I really want to emphasize the whole societal point of the mental health and the, the good, bad, and the ugly that we started with. And it's, it's the adults, it's the kids, it's all of us, right? Like we're, we're the most connected society in history and the most disconnected from the face-to-face -face communal interactions. And we need to spend less time on these social media platforms and more time in community to really do the right soothing, which is our look and, 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 and constant wanting to feel safe and wanting to, that safety comes with community and, and being with each other. And that, and the, the whole thing with saying here, the definition of it is when you talk about experiences, good, bad, or ugly, then the answer is same here. You know, I've had that too. I go through those type things as well. So explaining to others like we've done here to whether it's an adult or a child the child is much more specific because their ability for the prefrontal cortex and the midbrain does not come together till they're in their 20s they have no idea of repercussions and just to give you a quick example when we're looking at like the als bucket challenge the mannequin challenge, there's like cool challenges that went on social media to raise money and have big great things done but what about the Tide Pod challenge about swallowing a Tide Pod or the choking game or the cinnamon challenge? They had a sleepy chicken challenge where you cook chicken in NyQuil. Like those type of things, it's the same here messaging that's important. And that's to go sit down with the adult and say how important it is to be communal and not be just on social media. Sit down with the child and say, their brain doesn't understand the consequences of doing it. All they see is the hundreds of likes and comments when some famous kid in school swallowed a Tide Pod. So the conversations are, do you realize that if you did something like that, that's trending on social media, what actually would happen? Having them understand there's, there's negative impacts to things that they see, it gets their midbrain and prefrontal cortex to understand that there's things that may result from an action because they are not in that frame of mind. That's why teenagers are risk takers. And for the adults just to know that, like, there's a reason Facebook doesn't have that. It was brought to them to say, wow, it'd be so cool if we can have an instant thing coming and saying, one of your close friends is in the city that you're visiting. Would you want to hook up and hang out with them and go get a drink? Or it's They're not going to put that on there because that hooking up with a human being decreases the amount of time that we spend on the screen. So we just have to have the same here conversations to understand. Let's let everybody understand what is the good, what is the bad, what is the ugly. It's just talking, telling stories, making all the information available based on 
their true life experiences and not just what they read online. Yeah, I think one of the things that stuck out to me, well, well said, Dr. John, I love the, the why are you doing something, explaining to our children uh, why, uh, why they are doing something and, and how it may affect them short term and long term. Uh, Dr. Twitter or, or Jill, Jill, looks like you've unmuted. looks like you might have something to say. Yeah, I was just, I appreciate all of those things. And I love even hearing some of the clinical things because I, that's the part I don't understand. But for me, it's just, it's just talking. Like Dr. John said, we have to talk openly about our own experiences, about the things that we suffer with and we struggle with, um, share our experiences you know, with social media and mental health, share them with our kids, share them, you know, with students, share them with other adults, both the good, the bad, and the ugliest. Um, I think that really is going to help break down the stigma and make it more, you know, make it more normal. And for those of us who understand, let's model that. Let's use social media to spread that awareness. Um, I, I, that's why I love saying here, I love Beluga. I love all these things that you know, are out there. We just need more people to kind of like jump on that bandwagon and let's, you know, really make it something that's going to grow huge because that's where I found for myself um, a lot of healing and a lot of trauma information and how I could deal with things and the star exercises. And, you know, I was able to create that accountability for myself just by stumbling on something like that. Um, that helped me. Um, so I've been able to show that to my son too, like with my, so now he comes to me regularly and he, or he calls me and says, Hey mom, you know, you'd be so proud of me. I got a random text from a stranger, a number I didn't know, but you know what? I blocked it. Or, you know, I blocked an email that I got today and I'm like, bud, that's awesome. Thank you. Keep doing that. Keep sharing that with me. I love it when you're telling me those things, you know, so let's, it's reward the things that we are hearing from our kids and from our students. And, you know, let's make sure that they understand we're on their side. We're on their team. Yeah. I, what you said there is it, it kind of makes me think about. So the and this goes back to what Dr. John had said earlier. So the, so the algorithms and the platforms are built for immediate gratification and uh, our brains are obviously adapting to it uh, over time. And so it, 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 I think the, the it's this intersection where we're literally going in opposite directions. Jill's talking about education, positive affirmation. You know, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm 34 years old. I was born in 1988. Like I think about the fact that I am like the, the purest of digital natives. I grew up as, you know, computers and the internet were, uh, were becoming, uh, 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 we're, we're everywhere, I should say. And, uh, we're now having to, you know, I think about conversations I was having when I was little, when I was you know, the majority of the time hanging out with my neighbors and I was doing BMX riding and all the different warnings. And as we're becoming more and more isolated uh, and uh, just to go to like the, uh, I remember the article I'd written about existential terror. And so we've lowered existential terror to a level where we're actually creating anxiety uh, on our own. And, and again, to Dr. John's point about the, about the science behind this, and I realize it's going to be a bit anecdotal, but we're uh, we're creating these things in our head and we're creating fear. And now as caretakers, parents, educators, what I'm hearing from you guys is, is you have a constant battle to against this because they're gener they're creating these things in their head, which then makes them take actions and which are, are very dangerous. Like, like, um, like I believe it was, uh, uh, Jill mentioned, you mentioned about your, about your son. And so, context is the is the baseline that i heard it's like if we don't continue to fight this battle and have context with our with our kids with our friends with our family and it just stays as a mainstay that's what same here is we just keep on sharing it and so that's really what i've gotten out of all of you uh, as a message today is like there's no silver bullet here we're just going to have to keep on talking and hopefully putting around our friends family uh, our, our kids our young ones around people that want to just have context uh, before just isolating themselves and getting all this information and then uh, possibly uh, making a, a decision that's uh, that's a poor one. So I don't know if any of you want to expand on that, but that was uh, a synopsis of the takeaway while we have there about five minutes left. Uh, does anybody want to expand on that? Nope, I heard somebody, maybe, maybe possibly. Nope, anybody? Okay, well, we have five minutes left. Uh, Jill, Lori, Dr. Tuetta, Dr. John, if you guys want to have anything else 
to uh, in closing here regarding uh, social media's impact on our mental health and any other last advice for those that are listening now or will be listening in the future. I, I think uh, we're we're kind of saying the same things here, you know, uh, across the board. I, I feel like we need to open up our doors to to listen and to share those conversations. And um, I know a lot of us have said we need to take it offline. And I, I totally agree with that. Sometimes we need to just look somebody in the eye and have a conversation and 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 say, yeah, same here. You know, I'm, I'm feeling what you're feeling or I. I have these feelings. Let's talk about it together. And I think that's going to make uh, a huge impact. I, I I think it needs to happen yesterday, you know, to be able to uh, to get this motion forward. And I also agree. Um, a lot of the expectations that we teach here are uh, integrity, resilience and empathy. And I think those go a long way with helping students understand and just people in general. Because some of our, you know, some teachers are not even familiar with some of the things going on social media. So just teaching some of those things, some of those characteristics and how they apply to uh, having a positive mental health. And um, like everyone has already stated, having that open line of communication and normalizing that communication. We've had some town hall meetings uh, where we just invite parents and students and staff just to have the conversation about what is the impact of social media? So again, that conversation is going to continue to be a major, a major component. Yeah, I mean, I just final words is that be attentive to yourself and attention is something we're losing. And really, in order to be in that rest and digest, Jill, I know your favorite term now, the uh, in order to stay in that mode, you have to pay attention to yourself, to your loved ones, to your children, to those who you care about. And the design of social media has been really designed to steal your attention. And it is a fact that you cannot multitask as many people think that they actually can. Your brain has to concentrate on the thing at hand. That's why when you're thinking of something else or doing something and you read an email, you have to read it again because you can't focus. And it, that you, the normal amount of time that you pull away from something, go from one to another is you lose about 20 minutes of focus. So we just have to come back to knowing that what's in front of us is important regardless. Um, I think it's a, a good take home and for children and adults the same to understand, to focus on life and not just the things that grab your attention. Wonderfully put. I think that's a great spot for us to, to end. I want to thank uh, everybody for uh, giving their feedback, the good, the bad, and the ugly today, uh, talking through the uh, impact uh, of social media on our mental health. So with that said, I will close things up here. Evan, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to do as a closeout here, but uh, Stephen out. No, I just uh, echoing everything that has been said here today. It's so important. This session will live on demand now. We'll be sharing resources like this all month long. Uh, you could find it on Spotify, on Apple. Moving forward, we'll share that link. But I want to thank all the speakers again for sharing their insights. Amazing conversation. Thank all the participants that are listening in. And hopefully you could take some of this knowledge into your own communities. But, you know, this, this is the start right? These conversations and which is why we're so really inspired by conversations like this is this is just the beginning of it. So please let us know if there's anything that we could do for your communities. I'm sure the panelists and the guest speakers here today all feel the same. And, you know, just appreciate everyone turning out and discussing these hard topics and, you know, not an easy time these days. So great appreciation for the group. And uh, I hope everyone tunes in in the future. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.